Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, uh, wherever, whatever freeway you're sitting on, listening to this old gas bag. Um, today, I had a delightful conversation with the inimitable chef Bob, Robert Wemishner. Uh, has been a culinary instructor in L.A. for over 30 years, recently retired, but seems to be in, um, unable to actually stop teaching, um, which we are all very, very grateful for. Um, he's a wonderfully kind man, a wonderfully um, experienced and learned and well-traveled man, and some incredible stories from hanging out at Lazal and Lyon with uh, Paul Bocuse to somehow ending up at the Trois-Gros kitchen at the same time as the late, great Judy Rogers from Zuni Cafe in San Francisco, a restaurant with incredible roast chicken. I think we had a, a really delightful conversation. We got into a lot of subjects, uh, covered ground from... What's changed with the expectation of uh, people going into the culinary profession? Is culinary school still important? Is education important in an age where we can learn everything on YouTube? Or can we really? As much as I've railed against education in the past, I think it's coming away from this conversation. There is a lot of importance to it. I think we've gone way too far in our pushback against gatekeepers and... Uh, I understand the need to diversify those fields and make opportunity more accessible. I think that is incredibly important, but I do think that people with actual knowledge of a profession or field or subject can curate information and impart it in a way that is truly beneficial to people. And that is why I'm coming around saying, I think education is important. I think magazine editors are important. I think newspaper editors are important, good ones. I don't think everyone should be a teacher. I don't think everyone should be an editor. I don't think everyone should be a museum curator. The more we open up these fields and let people from all walks of life in, I think it's um, we're going to find more and more incredibly intelligent, thoughtful people to help filter information. There's too fucking much. And if everyone has an opinion and everyone has a voice and everyone's opinion, no matter how uneducated matters, then um, the fuck is the point, you know? And I'm really, I'm really tired of listening to people who have no idea what they're talking about talk about stuff that they have no idea about. Um, it's exhausting. It's a waste of time. It creates um, really unhealthy and vitriolic dialogue. It's not just social media. It's that people are encouraged to spread stupidity without doing their fucking homework. Anyways, I digress from my inane rant. Um, Chef Bob is a Los Angeles icon 
I'm really, really grateful to know him, to, and honestly, as I say in this interview, to be able to share the conversations that I feel so fucking lucky to be able to have with people like this, with, uh, you know, you, uh, whoever you are, whoever's listening, I'm really fucking grateful. Please tell your friends about it. Um, I really want to keep doing this and grow it into something because I really like having conversations with interesting people and, um, have a fucking awesome day or evening or morning or whatever the fuck else. And, um, without further ado, this is Carpetbagger. And uh, this is uh, a wonderful human being uh, known as Chef Bob or Robert Wimishner. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, perfect. Fuck! Oh, wow, I'm so impressed. Yeah. yeah. Um, every time I, every time I know how to pronounce your name, but every time I see it, I get daunted. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, Bob has been a, a legendary uh, LNA Los Angeles area chef and culinary instructor for. How how many years now? Well, I mean, I was at LA Trade Tech for thirty two years, actually. Good God, we retired. That's honestly. Let me jump right into that because that's uh, it's when I when I was thinking about talking to you, and mm-hmm. you know we've talked obviously many times before about this subject, but that that's something that I feel like has changed. My my granddad used to every time I would go over to the house and. He'd be like, oh, what are you working on? You know, who are you working for? Blah, blah, blah. And every time I'd, I'd give him a spiel and tell him what I was doing, and he'd say, well, I hope you enjoy it because you're going to do it for a long, long time. And that was the way that generation worked. Mm-hmm. And that was the way even in a lot of ways my parents' generation worked. I feel like something has changed, and I, I know part of it has to do with the workforce and how much and the gig economy and so much is like changing with the economy and the way our country works. But we don't think that way anymore. We don't just, this isn't, we we don't think, I think people coming up now and people coming up when I, when I was coming up, didn't think, Oh, this is my career. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. You know, I would love to hear and have everybody hear about how you got into teaching because I know you started in in the food world and cooking and and then how did you find this passion for instructing and sharing your knowledge and teaching? And I think part of teaching is learning, obviously. It's so true. You know, by um, having a forum for uh, teaching students or new newcomers to the industry it has been you know the privilege of my life i look at it as uh being in a spot where i had a a willing audience to go along with me on the ride Mm. and uh and people who uh, were testing the waters, as you say, you know, younger people earlier in their lives may not know that this is the career they wish to pursue for the rest of their life. Uh, but 
um, by showing them by example about what it takes to be committed to a career that is so large and so deep and so complicated, um, you, you are setting an example or setting them up for success. Uh, you're not sugarcoating, you know, the, the field, mm -hmm. sugarcoating the way that it will work, uh, the, the setbacks that you will have, the, um, you know, uh, lousy bosses that you'll have, perhaps the people who are not understanding your gift and your soul and your strengths, you know, and, and don't yeah. know how to pull those out of you to make it work. So for me, committing to one path, um, seemed, um, uh, based on an enthusiasm Mm -hmm. seemed to be the right way to go. I didn't feel that the body of knowledge that I needed to learn and then be able to impart to others was going to be accessible to me to learn it, you know, overnight, quick, instant. Mm. I knew that uh, looking at the examples whom I looked up to, like, you know, Paul Bocuse or mm -hmm. Craig Claiborne on the writing side, or yeah. a Gail Green, you know, I, these are all people that I met in, in the course of my career. And I'll talk about those if you'd like later. But of course, yeah. Um, the the examples of people who did commit their lives to the field one way or another were very strong lights for me, you know, and, and beacons of hope in a way. And Which is something incredible to have. Like I, I, and I'm just to be clear. Like I think that is an admirable thing. Like I do think, and I, I like I said, I know part of the the change has come with the economy changing and everything else. But I think, I personally think we have lost something mm -hmm. to an extent where it's like, it's like we're an entire nation of young people with ADD who just can't like focus on anything. And then well, there's people are don't have the they don't spend the time doing anything to develop an actual uh, 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 expertise. Yes, I think expertise doesn't come easily. But on but on the other hand, no. going back to your point of young people who uh, whose attention spans perhaps are classically defined as you know a uh, short. Um, <laughs> I think that I think classically <laughs> defined as short. I think that there's the writer coming out. Yeah, there it is. I think that, <laughs> you know, uh, others have said this, and I think Anthony Bourdain too, you know, that the kitchen is a place for misfits. Yeah. The kitchen is a place for people who uh, are not, um, you know, not the normal range of, of, you know, logical thinkers necessarily. I mean, on the pastry side, I think there's something a little different because the precision and the yes. almost, you know, anal, uh, if you will, uh, obsession with, you know, doing things in a certain way um, does require uh, a great deal of attention and attention span. Um, but kitchen sociability, you know, is built on people who have felt that they are outsiders or loners or just different, you know, and so that some of the great yeah. success stories currently in the kitchen are people who uh, might have had different kinds of training, 
totally different from what they wound up doing. But yeah. there's a seed of an idea that makes them think that they can apply that sort of, you know, um, targeted approach and targeted um, niche knowledge of things and, and, you know, apply it to the restaurant world. I think understanding that perhaps you're not a leader is an important thing as well. Very. Your head right at the beginning. Hey, I'm not the kind of person who is the alpha who's going to lead the rest of the pack in the kitchen. I'd rather be sort of to the side. So understanding yourself, as you were saying earlier, you know, getting to know your strengths and weaknesses, that would be one of the first so disabuse yourself of the notion that you may lead others. This is an interesting, this is a really interesting thing. And I want to dive into this more because I think as a, as a teacher, this is, I, I'm very curious to hear more of your take on this because I think I've seen so much and this kind of connects with something I wanted to talk about later, but it's like, I've seen so many people that I've you know interviewed for my restaurants or other restaurants who have this, they come out of culinary school now with this idea that in six months, they're going to be, you know, uh, on TV or an executive chef or whatever. Right. And so they, you know, they make a sour face when you ask them to clean the floor drain, not realizing that you've had your, you know, arm up to your armpit and the oil fucking well for, you know, the oil trap for grease trap for the last, you know, 45 minutes trying to unclog it. There's, you know, there's this, there's this, uh, this new idea of, you know, the, the glamour of leading or being a chef of being a, and we call, you know, and it's, it's kind of funny because now we call, everybody calls each other chef and everybody does, you know, with, and I, I love the fucking bear and I love everybody involved with it. There's some very dear friends who work on that, but we have this culture now where it's like, I was in a friend's kitchen the other day. And everybody just called each other chef in their name. And I understand it's like a way of showing respect or whatever else. But there is like, if everybody, if everybody has a voice, then nobody does at a certain point. And I think it's important that everybody has a way to express their creativity. But the word chef is just the French word for fucking boss. Right. Head like it's just, it's, right. like, yeah, it's literally just like, oh, this is the person leading the kitchen and everybody and I could be wrong, and I'm, this is—I want to hear your response to this. But it see, feels like everybody has this idea that they want to be the leader, or they should be the leader, and not everybody is set up for that. Right. I think it. it I think that everyone calling each other chef devalues, you know, the 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 earning of that title, you know, in a big way. Yeah. And um, you do have to have leaders, and you do have to have people who follow the leaders. Because other than that, other than that, you wind up with a chaotic, you know, disorganized um, mess or mass of people who are um, uh, not working together toward one goal. In my teaching, that's something that I really stressed that each person in our class, you know, which I look at as a microcosm of what a kitchen might be in the work, need to work together to produce that end result that we want we all need to be on the same page we may have different skill sets certainly different personalities 
but we have to have something in common to work together, which is that there's a commitment to excellence, there's yes. a, commitment to, a commitment to consistency, and a commitment to kindness toward each other, helping and collaborating to reach that goal. So, you know, egos are checked at the door, you know, in my mind, mm -hmm. you know, as much as possible. Yeah. And to teach people to do that uh, is not easy. Um, but, uh, you know, understanding that there there's still a lot of learning to do and it's lifelong learning. It's not reaching a pinnacle at some point in your career where you feel like you've had it all, done it all, learned it all and then can pass it on to others, uh, you know, as like a whole cloth of of knowledge. It's it's not a mantle that you should wear lightly. No. And I don't think everybody gets to wear the mantle of of leader, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you need to know your personality. You need to know who you are, you know. And are you a quiet leader? In my case, I never yelled at students. You know, I, I don't see yeah. that as a productive path to bringing them along you know one of the pleasures of and and advantages of uh unfurling this knowledge mm. to uh an audience of students in culinary school where it's a safe sanctuary environment that does allow for mistakes that does uh, inherently uh, expect mistakes by students. Um, people mm -hmm. learning anything, any craft, you're not going to, you know, come out of it fully blown, like from the brow of uh, Venus <laughs> in a Botticelli painting. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, you know you're going to need time to to develop, and you know that pearl inside of the oyster, which hopefully is not coming from a place that has polluted waters. Uh, at the moment. <laughs> uh, but that that is a um you know is is not achieved easily you know i mean it's it's yeah. that grit that as we know the grit in of sand inside of the oyster is the irritant that leads to something beautiful but absolutely but in 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 a culinary school environment i have the luxury of students who can make mistakes and they're going to learn from them and they're going to learn that um, they have to try something that might be, you know, um, intimidating to them in order to yep. see where their skill level lands. So unlike in a professional kitchen where, you know, everything that's made is needs to be accounted for in culinary school, which is an expensive kind of program to run, there is yep. food, there's lost food, there is ruined food. But but that's all the cost of education, you know, it's yeah. the doing. So when you uh, think about people watching YouTube videos mm -hmm. to learn how to cook, I don't think that that is a, a reasonable substitute for getting your hands into the food and having your hands on the food to really learn the lessons that you need to learn. Um, there's no replacement, no substitute for having someone with knowledge watching you, watching mm. your hands, what's in your hands. You know, I say about my students, you have good hands, you know, which is a, mm -hmm. is a 
you know, a metaphor for, you know, you, you're, you're quick, you're accurate, you're, you're precise, you're controlled. Um, you know, that's the, that's the good hands part of it. And I only know that by seeing them in person, you know? Yeah. So, so that's really well put. And I think it's, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier when we were talking, I, I think the, you know, I, I, David Chang has talked a lot about how you don't need culinary school anymore because, you know, you can get everything on YouTube. I've said that to people. I've, you know, the first thing I, I tell, you know, parents who are like, oh, my daughter or my son wants to be a, you know, wants to be a chef. What's your advice? And first advice is always tell them to find something else. It's insane. But the second is like, if, it, if it's really something they love, then like, and and I've been guilty of this many times in the past where I, I have a, a bit of a prejudice against education purely because I have just, however, whether it's the way I was brought up or whatever else, I've always uh, learned best just throwing myself into situations and quickly adapting and learning. Like that's just how it's worked for me. So it's, that's my experience. But what I have to remind myself of is, and we've been talking about this now for a minute with how, you know, the different ways of leading people, etc. Not everybody is wired like that. Not everybody is set up like that. And I think it's, I think education, you know, we, we've gotten to this point where we think that education is completely overrated. And in some cases, I think there's parts of the system that should probably be overhauled. But I do think for a lot of people and, you know, for, for everyone in some ways, I think it is so important to have somebody with knowledge who is a good teacher, which is its own skill set, right? Not everybody should be a fucking teacher. That's true. Uh, clearly, you should be. But patience. I uh, or work. You know, yeah. patience is is the is the first um, qualification that I think a teacher must have, you know, uh, patience followed by, uh, you know, a strong will, a strong sense mm -hmm. of self-confidence, certainly. And, you know, and, and then beyond that, uh, empathy, mm. empathy, empathy is a big one is, is such a, a big one, you know, uh, we uh, encounter people from all different backgrounds, all different um, home life experiences, and you know, bringing them a set of skills, opening their eyes to a whole new world of what food means, and not just a Eurocentric approach either. Yeah, which yeah. I think is really. Um, a, a welcome change in the educational arena. You know, Agreed. there are so many other kinds of cuisines, techniques, um, riches uh, to be explored, excavated. From... It's like painting a canvas and only putting four colors on your palette. Like, right, why, right. why the fuck when there's a whole world of paint colors? Right. Then why... yeah. and, and, there, and there's also, you know, the blending of colors, you know, if you want to continue mm -hmm. that metaphor which yes. leads to a whole nother world of food i mean um uh, you can read and and i think that uh people who are in school uh need to be taught the value of the printed word i mean certainly in in recipes in in books uh there's so much there that can be learned 
by reading and being prepared. So, you know, the mindset of a, of a younger person that now thinks that everything is instant education, you know, yeah. just press the button and there it is in front of you, you know, doing a search through Google or whatever, um, it just really scratches the surface in my mind. True. So yeah. let's let's think of the classics. Let's not forget those. Let's not jettison those from the They're classics for a reason the yeah. classics are classics classic techniques classic books classic uh chefs uh mm -hmm. you know it's not to say there aren't new ways to do things but let's have a basis whether it's you know the cuisine of mexico latin america you know asia china um you know the middle east europe beyond yeah. that africa everywhere around the world has something uh, special that can be learned as a as a cultural bridge yes as a way to understand each other as a way to dare i say understand the world and maybe you know the the notion of sitting down and breaking bread or in asia breaking rice together mm -hmm. uh you know is <laughs> is a, a a tie is a is a link is a ribbon that may in fact you know bring us closer together um yeah you know i mean we see that uh you know the world is you know pockmarked with conflict and uh and strife and sadness and and death yeah. i mean it's you know where where is the pleasure i mean food remains the pleasure yes no matter food remains the pleasure and then it becomes it's i've seen so much over the last several months of just the conflict of some, some, uh, well, I'm going to say from my opinion, some fucking idiot put together a list of, you know, restaurants in LA to boycott because they're appropriating this culture's cuisine for, you know, saying it was Israeli and it was really originated here or whatever. It's, it is, yes. And it's like, look, it, there's, I'm not going to get into my thoughts and opinions on that conflict but like food is this constantly changing amorphous thing and different regions have their own versions of things but things come out like if there is no there is no original dish mm -hmm. authenticity is a myth like mm -hmm. there is just it, it is food is this thing like you said that can bring everyone together and i think the most impactful thing that happened for Americans or for people who, you know, I'm saying Americans because I think that was a large part of the, the viewership of Bourdain's show. And because we, I think, have for so long uh, kind of bought into government or, or media-based fears around other cultures. Mm -hmm. And just seeing people sitting down at a table and sharing a meal, whether it was in Iran or Jerusalem or Palestine, wherever the fuck, mm. realizing that we're all not that different as mm. people. Mm. You know, we can we we can buy into things that you know the the dogma of religion is a terrifying thing to me because I think it can it can lead people to do insane things for something that isn't uh, in my personal opinion real. But that's just me. Um, but I do. It is like food. Food is food can be that connector. Food can be like sitting around the table and sharing things. 
we're, we're, and even if it's not the food, just the realization that we all do the same. We, we all sit down with our families and have dinner. We all sit down like at the end of, at the end of the day, like we're at the end of the day, we're people and we all need to feed ourselves and we all find ways to make that process, that basic human need beautiful and enjoyable with the ingredients we have on hand. And, you know, I mean, let's let's face it, uh, at least for me, I think that, you know, cooking or baking and sharing, you know, those pleasures at the table is an act of love. You know, yes, it really is. And I'm not going to be mincing words about that. It is something that uh, we do for approbation, for praise, for our own self um, sense of worth. I think, yeah. and uh, and teaching someone that you're giving pleasure to someone else through the the efforts you've put into creating, you know, something wonderful to eat, um, is uh, is a, a connection to someone else. You know, through yeah. that food, you are able to say, you know, we are all human, as you just said, and we have specific needs. Uh, certainly, you know. Um, creature comforts and and you know maslow's <laughs> hierarchy of needs certainly physiologically yeah. uh uh you know is uh, is there um and so being part of the community of people who serve others who create yes. food for others is uh is hopefully a selfless act and 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 it helps to bring the best out of people so I think having the opportunity to have taught a generation or several generations of students in my lifetime um, so far has given me that window of opportunity to spread some love around, you know? Yes. I really do believe that truly. And um, so As someone who knows a lot of your former students, I would have to say you have spread a lot of love around and it is felt nice. and seen. That's nice. Across many generations in the yeah, world it's, here. It's, it's really been a, uh, you know, a wonderful ride for me and it's not over either, you know, yet, but, no. but uh, for sure. But, um, you know, uh, just giving people the, the tools maybe to, uh, delve into a field that will in fact bring them pleasure bring others pleasure and perhaps help them move up in their lives you mm -hmm. know from a rather um you know desolate downtrodden often downtrodden state you know uh so um you know giving them the tools to create a new life for themselves right and absolutely that yeah. and so, so there, there's you know there's certainly that too you know um so you've so, been doing this for people for 32 years now. Right. And yeah. you you're retired. Right. Yeah. And I know you're I know you're still teaching, trust me. Yes, yeah. I yeah, see but, it. Yeah, but absolutely. how are you coping with being retired, Robert? You know, how are you fucking doing? That's, that's are you going crazy life. yet? No, absolutely not. I mean, I do keep myself involved in uh entrepreneurial other people's entrepreneurial pursuits, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the way of sort of uh, you know, doing some consulting, uh, mm -hmm. you know, being the person uh, that others wish to bounce ideas off of. And so working even as a consultant in in um, in certain instances. 
So that's That's keeping me busy, which is cool. Um, Yes. And, you know, and also, you know, uh, writing, which I continue to do uh, uh, about subjects that I want to write about food related. Uh, And so, you know, that along with, um, you know, just family uh, time is (laughs) a pleasure, you know, and keeps keeps It's it's a nice balance of, you know, I don't need to worry about that class this morning (laughs) versus I still want to be part of it. You know, there's that, you know, continued impulse to do. Yes. Which one doesn't drop just, you know, with a sharp, you know, line of demarcation, you know, I mean. And I think that that impulse is something that keeps us, keeps us going, keeps us sharp, keeps us young mentally. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, it's vitally important. What are you, besides, like, what are you writing right now? Are you, are you in the... I'm, I'm writing uh, about vanilla in, in various Ooh. aspects. I'm writing about pastry chefs who, you know, and other chefs who are interested in certain things. So right now I'm doing a piece about conchas, you know, and trying to mm. sort of uh, flesh out some great bakers in LA, you know, whom I've already mm-hmm. contacted and elsewhere um, uh, and talk about it, the history of that and, and how, you know, how that that particular texture on top of the concha is mm. so related to, you know, what the French are doing with their shoe um sable, yes. you know they're, they're so looking at how how things are related across cultures is always interesting mm. you know that is a fascinating fa- I, I i just finished reading a a book uh, that evan gave me uh the uh, national dish oh yes right um, anya von brebson oh, thank you oh, i was yeah. blanking on her name but it was the first and i i'm embarrassed as fuck to say this, the first Anna von Bremsen book that I'd read uh-huh. and I adore the way she writes, yes, but that exploration of going to a country, exploring the national dish and exploring the influence that world events and other countries had on it the way Japan's national dishes, that the things we think of, uh, you know, ramen and these things that are very popular are influenced by the influx of American weed after the war. Right. Like all of these things, it's just, it's, fascinating and, and and you know and and debunking in many cases what we think yes. of as the national dish or as you know the the signal cultural contribution of a particular country you know in the world of food so um there's another book uh I'm reading now though and i continue to read constantly uh written by fuchsia dunlop you know, who's yes. the expert of, and, you know, God knows she speaks Chinese, has lived in, taken <laughs> yes. culinary wor- uh, classes, and wrote this book, uh, the, the last one she wrote, which is, um, uh, you know, the banquet, uh, kind of invitation to a banquet. I may have the name wrong, but where she goes through each region of China and, mm. and talks about the history. Uh, I mean, and I'm talking about thousands of years, uh, opening your eyes to, how, uh, you know, how these dishes uh, and techniques in Chinese cooking uh, evolved from an early stage. Fascinating book, you know, and really opens your eyes to the, the, or really makes us think about how young the U.S. is as a culinary culture. (laughs) True. As a culinary culture. And truly made up, talk about a a melting pot that 
yeah is still trying to find its national identity right for sure you know i mean you know so so it's fun to have you also have you read the book by andrew friedman called dish you know that i have not yeah that one's fun too where he takes a dish in a restaurant in chicago and goes through all of the which i find fascinating uh, and i in my teaching have often wished to and have done a lot of talk to the students about where something comes from you know try mm. to give a cultural context you know not just this thing fell out of the sky and this is why we're making it you know an understanding yeah. deeper which then is more indelibly you know etched upon the minds of the students but dish is about you know, every step of the way, you know, where the the meat grower, you know, grows the, the beef and where the farmers make the other parts of the dish and, you know, every part of the process from beginning to its being on a plate served to a customer, he takes that evolution, you know, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I will definitely read that. I, I, Andrew, I met him a couple of times, delightful person, but very uh, also yeah. a terrific writer. Yeah. But I'm yeah. very excited to read your piece on the subject. Yeah, well, I hope that, uh, you know, uh, this thing of, about conscious, that, that'll come out in, I don't know, a couple months now. But I'll, yeah. I'll send you a copy when it does. I'm going to talk to um, uh, Arturo from Gusto Bakery. You know that. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Uh, and there are others in town, too. But uh, he's doing some really great things in in the world of whole grain, along with, you know, Roxana, you know, my friend from friends and family and, uh, you know, and others uh, whose names I'm not thinking of right this moment. But any case, yeah. Yeah. You've already remembered more names than I'm going to remember for the entirety of this day. So (laughs) I think think you're good. good. I'm pretty good with names and faces, actually. You, You certainly are. Yeah, uh, what uh, you mentioned earlier, some of the the chefs that you've gotten, you know, a chance to meet in your right, career that yeah. you really looked up to, and and on and Craig Claiborne on the writing side, you right. know, Gail Green, Paul Bacuse, etc. What yeah. are some of those 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 standout memories? Yeah, you know, um, one of them actually is uh, well earlier in time when I had just graduated from college and I had the audacity to you know travel to France, but take, um, uh, you know, uh, efforts to reach out to people. And and it wasn't as hard as it might seem, but I got contact info for Simone Beck, who, you know, was a co-writer with Julia Child. And, you know, controversially, um, uh, (laughs) not an easy person, but she was a wonderful host for me, picked me up at the Nice airport in oh her Reno, in her Renault, and we and drove <laughs> drove me to Place Cassier to Brahma Farm, which is the place where Julia Child and Paul Child lived, uh, sharing the property with Simone Bet. And I yes. had a lovely outdoor lunch that Simone prepared for me, just <laughs> me, just me and her. That was one of those you know signal moments that I'll never forget. It was like, how the fuck did I get here? Right. You know, how did I get here? And, you know, and and am I really here? But I knew I was (laughs) Um, another person who probably got less attention among the world's culinary greats. But 
Perla Myers, who was Austrian-born mm. and years ago in one of, was one of the first to really put into words the notion of seasonality. She mm -hmm. wrote a book called The Seasonal Kitchen and beautifully laid out and really, you know, mind-blowing in light of what we look at as a modern concept today. She was way ahead of her time. This is now 50-plus years ago, okay? What was the first name again? Perla, P-E-R-L-A. Perla. Perla Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S. Fantastic, um, you know, sensual writing and great uh, combinations. And, you know, she was just, you know, took the European tradition of the farmer's market in a way, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, which we now take for granted as a phenomenon here, which was, you know, preceded not that, far, not that long ago. Right. But preceded by centuries in a way in Europe. And so she yeah. brought that concept to New York and wrote a, a one that book and others after it. But that was the signal moment when I said, I need to find a way to find fresh basil, which I'd experienced in Italy in my <laughs> youth and bring it to the U.S. and be able to use it, the only place I could get fresh basil was from a little garden behind an Italian gourmet store in the suburbs of New Jersey because the owner grew it, you know? But that was not... We take for granted how much fucking shit we have available to us now. I it's know. truly insane. It I talked to Alex Weiser a couple of episodes ago, and we were talking yes. about, like, when the first farmer's market started here, and it's like... Right. It is it is insane, like how much we have to work with now, and how yes. easy it is to get stuff. Exactly, which it was crazy. not at all, not at all. No time in Europe and come back from my travels, you know, in my twenties, and wishing to recreate some of the marvelous dishes that I tasted, but I was up against a wall of these ingredients not available, you know. Not yeah. found. I mean, you know, you, you could go. I live not far from New York City, so you could go to Calustian's, let's say, which is still there, mm -hmm. long established spice store, and get things you could not get in a supermarket. I can tell you that. So <laughs> the democratization of, you know, um, truly ethnic food and the availability of ingredients to create it is a a watershed moment you know momentous uh time in, in our you know that we take for granted as you said um you know going to the les Alles market in lyon with mm. paul bocuse again me as a young get the fuck out of here kid, I did. I did it. And, <laughs> you know, and so the influences and then think even later um, where I was leading trips to Europe for students and for mm -hmm. food professionals. And we put them together, which was often a very incendiary combination. <laughs> and, and I can imagine. You know, the students didn't get on the right train. And here I have, you know, these well-known <laughs> restaurateurs on this trip and saying, well, we're just going to leave them behind. We have a destination. And one of those destinations was to get outside of Paris uh, by train to Fauchon's production facility, which was at that moment helmed by Dominique Ancel, Jesus. who gave us the tour of the Fauchon facility, where we we're able to taste things just, you know, being prepared mm -hmm. there 
which then were trucked to Paris to their one and only place at that point, uh, Place de la Madeleine. Um, I mean, I, I was absolutely awed by the presentation of their products and then being able to see them, you know, being prepared as well. Um, also spend time with the Troigreau brothers and mm -hmm. the father of them, you know, um, Jean, Pierre, and, um, and then you had the father, Jean-Baptiste, uh, you know, still, still alive at that point in, mm -hmm. in, in Rouen, a gorgeous, beautiful restaurant, sort of modern for its time, yeah. um, but classic for its cuisine. I was there, unbeknownst to me or to her, at the same time as the late Judy Rogers spent time. Oh, there. man. Okay. Wow. Zuni Cafe. Okay. Yep. You know, the legendary Zuni Cafe. And I didn't cross paths because I was there at a slightly different time of year than she was. But I remember clearly that what I I was given as sort of a faux apprentice in a way there, <laughs> my job was to peel vegetables, but also to eviscerate what are called grieve, which are tiny birds that were made into a liver pate. That was oh, a wow. famous dish at that moment uh, at Rouen at Trois Gros. This very fine, you know, run through a tammy, you yeah. know, making this liver mousse that uh, was, you know, you know, absolutely ethereal and, and angelic. <laughs> <laughs> angelic is such a great descriptor for a mousse. Yeah, absolutely. I wow. Mean, you know, you, you had that opportunity. And then later, I had the pleasure of visiting in Calvado a, uh, um, a cider turn into, you know, beautiful apple and pear, uh, you know, Armagnacs and, oh, yeah. and brandies and what. Um, uh, so amazing experiences all, you know, um, over over years. Going to the Les Allen Market in Lyon with Paul Bocuse has got to be a yeah. That was just, that, I, I don't yeah. That was the that was the trophy, which of course at that point I didn't realize. You know, <laughs> was we that. never. So seldom do we actually appreciate what's happening when it's happening. Yeah, and that's what makes you know, uh, you know, the looking back at the past such a delight. It's uh, some of my favorite, I mean, it's, it's crazy how, you know, Paul is now this like legendary fixture in French gastronomy and across the world. But I was, I was reading, uh, I was rereading Fernand Pointe's book uh, recently, La Pyramide, which is still yeah. one of my favorite ever. And there was a great story about how I'm trying to remember if, if it was in well, the introduction from someone, but there's a great story when Paul Bacuse was just like a, a porter. Mm -hmm. There's a young, a young man working at La Pyramid. Yes. And was, would be following behind taking notes while Fernand and, and his um, two of the time was, were going through the, the coolers and everything in the morning. And they would, you know, before, before, you know, sir, before noon, Paul would have gone through three magnums of champagne. And so <laughs> as, as they're walking through the coolers, he's, you know, pouring out a glass for him and the Sioux. 
and he catches Paul one time just tipping the bottle and pouring it into a small bowl that was on the thing to to sip on. Never, never brought it up, never said anything to him. But then from then on, always poured a bit into a bowl for for Paul, which I thought was the funniest story. My my experience at La Pyramide at that point, at that point, um, Fernand Plant had passed away, but his wife, yes. Mado, was yes. still at the front door of the restaurant. A formidable yeah. person, by formidable, all accounts. Formidable, absolutely. And I, I dined there. And, you know, wow. for me, the, the, uh, the thrilling moment was to be able to taste the Madeleine. Uh, I'm yes. sorry, not, uh, excuse me, the Marjolaine cake. <laughs> La Marjolaine, which was the famous dessert of. You know, a hazelnut meringue with uh, creme fraiche uh, uh, based ganaches and buttercream and layered thing. Um, and so that was, you know, the crowning moment uh, for me uh, to be able to taste that. I had read about it. It was legendary um, and a beautiful, beautiful spot. Um, and I remember as well, you know, eating at Eelhausen at Auberge de Lille. You know, mm. in that gorgeous place along the the little like bubbling brook. Um, <laughs> and at that point, um, Monsieur Aberlin, you know, was still alive. Um, you know, family members have since taken that over. I mean, same is true of Trois-Gros. You know, you have grandchildren yeah. who have continued in the field. I mean, isn't that great? I, I It's you know, incredible. Yeah. Isn't that great to continue that? Um, you know, and, and so in my teaching, going back to that, to, yeah. to give the students a context for what has come before and to understand the reverence for food that I experienced um, being in places where I learned, um, you know, the very, very minor, but ultimately becoming very important lessons uh, uh of of caring for the food and and well, be- just being able to pass down those experiences person to person is something that like you know you can read you can you can read i'm sure you're you're working on a book you don't want to talk about but you right. can read about all of those experiences in that book you're gonna write That's but right. it's not to say like but you sharing that in person and mm-hmm. the you know recounting the excitement and the the just the wild aspect of that is something that like that gives that gives your students and the people who are lucky enough to hear those stories from you including myself right now and everybody listening to this such an unbelievable like that it's it's so like we we forget that i think sometimes it's so incredible to hear those stories from the people and the it's a it's i don't know it, it imparts it imparts the excitement and the passion and the the love of this thing that you have. And mm-hmm. that I think you at its core, if you're going to get into this business just to make money or as a job or whatever else, more power to you. Good luck. It probably won't work out. But you because you really it is a you really have to if you're going to do something special and unique in this and create a space and you don't you don't have to. You can, you know, right. make a sandwich place that's okay and I'll be very successful but if you're going to do that then you like you have to have an actual love for it you have to want to say something 
and share something with people. And I think that's, that's incredible that you've found, you found that thing and you've imparted that to so many thousands of people over your career it's been a and are continuing to do it. Yes. You know, I, I, I think of one word when I think of this field and I'm so glad that chefs now are, are in many cases are getting their due. I feel this is a field that is ennobling. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, you know, and not using that word noble as something uh, right. that refers to, you know, uh, a monarchy in any way. No. Uh, I'm thinking more about how it is, uh, you know, a an elevation of the spirit of people. All right. Having yes. the drive, the passion, the goals, or at least a rough plan for what you want to do with your life. And you may yes. change courses within it, but still staying within the broad outlines of that field, subject to tweaking all the time. I think that if you don't lose sight of the fact that what you're doing is a noble thing, a noble mm. a profession to be part of, to be joining a long line of very, very um, selfless, talented sometimes overly egoistic and egotistic mm -hmm. but you know that goes with the territory but still with validation from the work you're doing when you get into it that mm -hmm. will make you wish to remain on that path and yes. i think that giving pleasure to other people is a noble a noble profession that's all i can say truly conveying that to students or people who are training to enter the field as i have over these years um uh, is is always a uh, prime goal for me i don't lose sight mm. of that that yeah that's important i think you're that ennobling is a really good word for it and it is it is i think there is an aspect where this is still and you know this is still a meritocracy in so many ways where in the, in this industry if you, no matter what background you're from, no matter what advantages or disadvantages, and some of us have a lot more advantages than others, just right. easier to get there. But if you have something, a unique gift and a unique ability to do something and to say something with your food, you like that is something that will be recognized because this is like this is something that every human being does and every human being needs to eat. And you that will it lifts you up and it lifts other people up. And when people have that experience with your food and the, it, it is, it's something that um, anybody. And again, like we said earlier, not everybody has that gift. Not everybody is the, the person that's going to do that. Some, you know, some people are, are really good at executing things specifically and are going to, you know, be able to, and which is something that the person it's just something that the you know the chaotic geniuses need because that yeah. does it doesn't fucking work without people who can actually you know execute that day in day out and 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 really it comes down to discipline mm. as well. and i i think that this is something that i have inculcated in my students that you know you're going to do things over and over again and if you get bored easily then this may not be the field for you in that sense. You know, the, the need to re repeat, replicate at a high level, consistently high quality, uh, you know, um, 
output um, is is at the core of what is success in this business. So mm-hmm. if that doesn't uh, float your boat, if that's not something you can devote yourself to at least for a number of years before you can then perhaps rise higher to call the shots for others to do the same thing and you uh, can escape that, you know, uh, repetitious, monotonous, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps in, in some people's eyes, uh, uh, list of tasks to be done, uh, you know, then, you know, you're not going to succeed. So so having discipline, yeah. knowing that, that that is key to your success, even if you don't see it, you know, at yeah. the outset. Um, it's never easy. To see. It's not always easy to see the big picture, but right. it is vital if you're ever going to it's vital to not to not rush it and not rush to be over eager to be the person at the top of the ladder it's a lot of fucking harder than you think and if you don't have the experience and you haven't worked your way through those other roles or learned the other sides of industries and sometimes i mean for myself like i i've been in a very strange position where i never really worked for another chef Right. But I spent a lot of time under a lot of other people in a lot of other industries and learned those those skills in the and uh how you know how to lead people and fall and you know by example good and bad. Um but I think it is so it's so vital. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Uh, (laughs) What's what what works and what doesn't. Those are those are important. One of these days, Royce, I'm gonna learn like how you got to where you're doing what you're doing still, still somewhat of a mystery to me. Uh, it's but, it's a mystery to me too, Robert. <laughs> but your name pops up and in, in so many places and we have so many mutual, you know, friends and acquaintances uh, and, and contacts that um, I, I think that by now I would have uncovered the why behind the, <laughs> now for you but i haven't so we're gonna have dinner and talk about that (laughs) okay i can't wait to have dinner and i can't thank you enough for joining me today it's always a pleasure to talk to you but so honestly i think um as much as i love just having one-on-one conversations over tacos or whatever else uh thank god for sonora town i think um it's just I, I'm grateful that I get to have these conversations with you and and other people uh, in this field that have so much experience and and knowledge and and love for it and be able to share that with with everybody else because it's it is uh, you know when I get to have these conversations and get to have the friendships that I have and the relationships I have with people like you it is it's so. I, I it, it's what you were talking about, you know, getting to know people like Paul Bacuz and Simone Beck and these experiences where it's like, I feel so incredibly fortunate to be able to, uh, you know, hear those stories firsthand and, and just learn from people who have had a lot of incredible life experience and have done something really unique and beautiful with that, like you have. And I, uh, I'm grateful that I get the opportunity to share that with, you know, whoever's listening. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you today and, uh, uh, and, you know, uh, share a bit of my history. Uh, I, I have enjoyed it very much. It's been an honor. I will, I will actually reply to you and we'll get a dinner date on the books. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Take All right, care. Robert. Thank you, you too. So much. All right, bye. Thank you. Bye.